So we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, starting in verse 13, and we'll read through the end of the chapter and then all of chapter 10, all 20 verses in chapter 10. So 9.13 to 10.20. Please follow along as I read. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks in the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses, and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and the princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time. For strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. All right, let me pray one last time as we uh, begin. Lord, we're thankful to be uh, back together again after a week off, as we were reflecting uh, this past week on your goodness and all that we have to be thankful for. And we're thankful, God, that we can be here today in freedom to open your word and to learn from your word. We're thankful, God, that you give us your spirit, who illuminates the truth to us, who convicts our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us your truth. Lord, keep me from any error. Lord, I pray that your truth would sink deep into our hearts and our minds. And God, that we would live in greater worship to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Uh, I might have shared this bef- with you before. I don't remember, but if so, then, then you'll, you'll hear it again. <clears throat> but uh, when I was in high school, about junior or senior in high school, uh, I went down to uh, Mexico for a missus trip. I know I've told you that before, but I don't know about this specific thing. And uh, I, I remember at the time, um, I was really into spicy food. Uh, actually, I've always been into spicy food, even at just such a young age. And I still love spicy food. Um, but it was especially my junior and senior year where, you know, I had young man syndrome. And guys, we've talked about this. And so I just felt that I was invincible. And I felt like, like yeah, there is nothing too hot, too spicy that I cannot take because I'm a man. I'm 17 years old. I can, I can take anything. And I, so I was very prideful in that. And I remember we were down on, uh, in Mexico um, on a missions trip, and it was late at night. We've already done our work for the day. And at that time, we kind of just like go down this dusty road, and we find a taco stand. I don't remember which one it was. And, you know, you buy tacos. Everyone, It's like 50 cents a taco, like, and the best tacos you've ever had. And so you just buy a bunch of tacos and drinks. You just have a good time and hang out before you go to sleep. And I remember we're talking. I don't remember how it came up, but I was basically just bragging about myself on how, oh, yeah, you know, I can take anything at, at any heat level. Like, nothing's too spicy for me. It doesn't exist. And they're all kind of talking, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then someone, I don't remember who, someone was like, oh, you should have one of those peppers back there in the back of the, you know, where they're cooking. Like, there's this, like, really, like, supposedly hot peppers. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll have that. Like, it's nothing. And they're, like, egging me, like, yeah, do it, do it. Like, oh, yeah. And then, but then the locals that were there, you know, they're kind of, like, hearing it. They're like, don't do it. Like, it, it will be too spicy. And I'm like, no, guys, you don't understand. It will not be too spicy. Like, that I've never eaten anything too spicy. I'll be fine. It's just a pepper. And they're like, no, trust me. You think you'll be fine. You have not had these peppers in America. Like, trust me. You know, the guy's back there. He's already, like, putting it over the fire, getting, like, grill marks. And I'm like, yeah, bring it on. Anyways, they give me the pepper. All my friends are like, yeah, Luke, do it, do it. All the locals are like, don't do it, don't do it. And then so I just take it and take a big old bite. And how do you think I, I did? I started to cry. I wish that's all I did. I tell you now, I mean, this is, I've never experienced this with anything. All of a sudden, it took like just a matter of seconds. The top of my head to the bottom of my toes just went completely numb. Like I had to lay flat for like an hour. I couldn't feel anything. And all the locals are like, I told you so. And like all my friends are just laughing at me and the whole thing, right? And here's the thing. Like those that lived there, the locals, you know, who've had these peppers before, like they knew it was hot. And they knew it was too hot. They lived there. They've experienced it before. They knew. They've seen, you know, Americans come in, think they're all that and eat these peppers. But I was foolish and I didn't heed their warning. And I paid for it for like an hour, and then the next day too for multiple hours, right? Like it was a no bueno, as they say. Here in Ecclesiastes, we have the wisest man on earth. He gives us insight on living wisely and not living foolishly. And and this is coming from someone who, although he was the wisest man on earth, he still lived foolishly at times. And he knows what it means to live wisely. And he also knows what it means to live foolishly. And for us to not heed his words, like I did not heed the words of the locals, would be foolish. 
For us to think that we would not be susceptible to living foolishly, I would be foolish. And so we ought to heed the wisdom of God's word and beware of living foolishly. Take it from Solomon, who knows. Don't be prideful like me and say, oh, no, I can never do that. That's never too hot. Or I can never live foolishly. In this passage that we see here, Solomon, he once again, we see he's done this a few times in Ecclesiastes. He observes life around him. And here, as he observes life around him, he finds four ways in which the foolish person lives their life. And so we must, with great humility, evaluate if we are living foolishly. And instead seek to live in wisdom. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at four ways in which Solomon observes life around him and finds the way in which the foolish person lives their life. So first, we see how the foolish view wisdom. How the foolish view wisdom. This is 9.13 to 10.3. Solomon describes a situation in which a city is being taken over by a great and powerful king. However, a poor wise man delivered the city. Now the issue is that once the city was delivered, the poor wise man was no longer considered. His wisdom was forgotten. His wisdom was rejected. See, the point here is that the the foolish person only heeds wisdom in times of trouble. When the city was being taken over, they listened to the wise man. But once the trouble's gone... The foolish person doesn't feel like they need wisdom any longer. Think of your own life. Do you often seek wisdom and counsel from others when things are going disastrous in life? Maybe you're going through a hardship. You're going through a difficulty. Maybe there's a broken relationship in your life. Maybe you're stressed or you're anxious about something. Maybe there's been a death in the family. Wherever the situation may be, often when disaster strikes, when difficulty arises, we seek wise counsel. And we should. That's good. Don't stop that. I'm not saying to stop seeking wise counsel. In those times, we need wise counsel to point us to the truth of God's word. Yes. But what about when things aren't difficult? Do we not still need wisdom in those days as well? Why should our pursuit for godly wisdom stop when things are going well, when the difficulties are gone? No, we need wisdom in all days. See, the fool only seeks the words of the wise when the city is in destruction. But once the wise words were effective and the city was delivered, then the man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. That's what Solomon observes. Do you see the folly in that? Receive words of wisdom in every season. Don't just heed wisdom in times of trouble, but heed wisdom at all times, is what Solomon's saying. And part of the difficulty, I think, is that a lot of times it is the foolish words that are the loudest. For those in here who have social media, I'm sure you could scroll through it and much easily find foolish words than wise words. 
What I mean is, it's, it's much easier to find and to hear the foolish words of the world than it is the wise words of God. What does Solomon say about that in 9.17? He says, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Foolish words are the words that are loudly proclaimed, but it's better to receive the words of the wise that are said in quiet. This takes diligence. This takes discernment. This takes intentionality. Not just to hear what we are loudly bombarded with by the world in social media, in entertainment, and just people talking, and just, yeah, you're being bombarded by these messages and this, this foolishness in which they call wisdom. We don't just hear that and accept it, but with diligence, we ought to seek out wisdom. With discernment, we ought to filter out foolishness. With intentionality, we ought to heed wisdom and not folly. You don't just take what is the loudest voice, what is the most popular voice in today, or, or, or what everyone is saying. This is what everyone's saying these days. That's true. Seek the truth, which is found in His Word. I think one of the worst ways in which we can listen to the loud, foolish words of this world are the false gospels that are loudly proclaimed. They're all over the place. And one of the loudest false gospels that penetrates the church is the false gospel of works. And you know, we talk about it over and over again because it's constantly penetrating the church. A false gospel of works that says the more good you do, that says if you do more good than bad, that says that if you, you say good things or you, you do good things or you act like a good person or you go to church or you give money to the poor or you sacrifice your life for others and, and, and you give all your love towards others, if you do this and do this and do this, then yeah, God loves you, of course. Then yes, you're saved and you're a Christian. That if you do this, then God will do this for you. That's a false gospel. Be careful of that. Have you fallen to that false gospel? A gospel of works and not a gospel of grace. But listen to the wise words of Scripture that tells us the true gospel. That salvation is found by grace alone, through faith alone, only by the merits of Christ alone. It's not by your works. It's not by your parents' works and what they've done for you or, or, or their faith. Or their heritage. Oh yeah, I'm part of a Christian family. It's not on any of that. It's only on what Christ has done on your behalf. And it's through faith given to you by grace in which we can be saved. Now Solomon continues and he warns us by saying that even though wisdom is of great value, in fact in verse 18 he says it's, it's greater than power. He says wisdom is better than weapons of war. He said, even though wisdom is of greater value, he says it can be spoiled in an instant. He says, one sinner destroys much good. Right there in verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. It's powerful. Verse 18. But one sinner destroys much good. Let this be a warning to those who seek godly wisdom. Wisdom can be spoiled in an instant. 
Do you keep company with the foolish? Do you you see godly wisdom? See, I, I see godly wisdom. Well, guess what? You won't find godly wisdom in the company of fools. Sometimes our actions aren't consistent with our words or even our desires. We say we desire godly and wise influences, and maybe there's genuine desire for that, sure. But then you surround yourself with a company of fools? That wisdom will be spoiled in an instant, he says. That's inconsistent. You say, yeah, I I want godly wisdom. I want to be influenced by godly people. But then you surround yourself in the company of fools. He says that will spoil it. In fact, that's his point that he makes in chapter 10, verse 1. It's really, it's, it's one continual thought, right? At the end of 9, he says, but one sinner destroys much good. And then he goes on to say, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Just as a fly can ruin a precious ointment by by making it stink, so can a little folly corrupt the wise. That's what he's saying. Be careful what you fill your mind with. Is it folly? You're just filling your mind with folly? Be careful who you surround yourself with. Are they fools? Are your closest friends, those who who influence you the most, those who who you go to for counsel, are they fools? According to how Scripture describes a fool? They will not give you godly wisdom. If you seek wisdom, godly wisdom, then beware of being spoiled by fools. Now the question might be, well, how can you discern whether someone is foolish or wise? So Solomon answers that. Solomon says, look at the way they live their life. In time, their life will reveal their heart. Verse 2 and 3 continues. Right? He says, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he's a fool. The right indicates that which is good. That's what he's saying. And the left indicates that which is bad. He's saying a wise man's heart inclines him to the right. That the wise man loves the things of God and is inclined in that way. That his life will will reveal a a, a bent, a a habit, a practice, a pursuit of the things of God. That's where we receive wise counsel. Those who follow and walk in the ways of God. Whereas the foolish person's heart is to the left. And he, he, he walks and he lacks sense. And everyone knows he's a fool. You observe their life and you see they don't have godly wisdom. They have folly. And I think you can see that. Maybe in those in your friends or those that you follow or those that influence you. And you may even be able to recognize that and say, yeah, these are the people that are following after the Lord. And these aren't. And yet the temptation is to surround ourselves with the fool. And Solomon says, that fool... And that folly will spoil the wisdom. And the question for you is, will you heed wisdom? Or will you walk in foolishness? Secondly, we see how the foolish misuse authority. Chapter 10, verses 4 through 7. How the foolish misuse authority. Authority. 
Solomon continues his observations in life, and now he observes those who rule, or those who are in authority. And he sees two ways that the foolish ruler misuses his authority. And first we see the anger of the foolish ruler in verse 4. He says, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offense to rest. Anger is not the mark of a wise person. It's actually the mark of a foolish person. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And see, people think that you need to be angry, maybe to apply pressure and to get things done, especially if you're in a position of authority. Like, that's the only way I get things done. That's how I'm a good boss, is by being angry and applying that pressure to them. Well, the Bible says this is foolishness. In fact, James 1.19 says this, three things to listen to, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And he says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Are you quick to hear? Think about that, evaluate that in your life right now. Are you quick to hear, to listen to what the other person has to say? Just think about you're in an argument with someone, your parents, your siblings, someone, a friend. Are you quick to hear, to listen to what the other person has to say, giving them a chance to say what they need to say, and truly hearing them out? Or is it more important that you're heard instead? You need to say what you need to say. Are you quick to hear? Are you slow to speak? What do our moms always say? Think before you speak. Our moms just got that from James. Good job, mama. Oftentimes, we just want to be heard, and we want to speak quickly. But you, James says, be slow to speak. In fact, if you're quick to hear, you're likely slow to speak, because you're listening, so you can't be speaking. But if you aren't quick to hear... You likely aren't slow to speak because you're too busy being heard first. You're too busy speaking. Does that hurt your brain? Sorry, Big Rich. He was like, Ugh. Oh, that's something else. Okay. Are you slow to anger? Do you have patience? Or are you just jumping to conclusions and getting angry quickly? Someone says something and, what? I can't believe it! Instead of being quick to hear... And hearing their side of the story and the explanation, instead of being slow to speak, you're just you're just quick to anger. You're quick to explode. Be quick to hear. Be slow to speak. Be slow to anger. Often we're the opposite. We're slow to hear, and we're quick to speak, and we're quick to anger. This is how the foolish person responds. Now, of course, there is righteous anger, and righteous anger is not foolish. It is wise, and Jesus demonstrated righteous anger. But too often we call things a righteous anger when in reality we know it's not righteous at all, and we know that, right? You yell at your mom, you slam the door, that's a righteous anger, mom! No, it's not. Often when we're angry, it's not because we're angry at the irreverence of God, but it's because we're upset at how something has affected us personally. 
And so we respond in anger. And Solomon says, the foolish person responds in anger. And on the flip side, he's saying the wise person responds in calmness. The wise person is calm. Or as we say, calm, cool, and collected. That's the wise person. They have composure. Not exploding in anger. But then the second thing that he observes here, still in this section, of rulers, is that we see the errors of the foolish ruler. Continuing on, verse 5 through 7, looking at the errors of the foolish ruler. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Because now he's telling us, what are these errors from the ruler? Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. As the foolish rules, they make decisions that are upside down is what he's saying. In this case, Solomon observes that that they have slaves on the horses and they have princes, they're walking on the ground. That's backwards. And it's not meant to be seen as a sign of humility, like, oh, well, that prince, that's a really humble guy. No, in this context, it's meant to describe that the foolish person rules in error. That the foolish person doesn't make wise decisions. In fact, an example of this would be Solomon's own son, Rehoboam. He ruled in foolishness, and as a result, the kingdom was divided. If you want to read that story in more detail, another time, write down 1 Kings chapter 12. It's very, very interesting. It would be great, actually, for for you guys to, to read that. But in short... Rehoboam, he rejected the counsel and the wisdom from the elders, and instead he foolishly listened to the counsel and the advice and the advice of his young friends. And so instead of acting in clear wisdom, instead of taking the advice of the older, wiser counsel, he flips everything upside down and he listens to his youthful, unexperienced, foolish friends. And because of that, the kingdom's divided. And Solomon says the foolish person rules in error. I'll say this. If, if you're in a place of authority, do not rule foolishly. See, to live in folly would be to rule in error. But instead, pursue godly wisdom and lead and rule in accordance to what God says. Not what man says. I think it's appropriate, too, just to take a step back as we're in this section of rule. Take a step back and to recognize and remember that we have a God who rules on his throne, who has authority, and yet who is all-wise. Always. Because there will be many earthly rulers who are foolish and therefore who rule in error. But our God, who rules on his throne, who is the one in ultimate authority, never rules in error. But everything he does, he does so perfectly, without error, without mistake, without sin. I think there's great comfort in knowing that God is on his throne. And he is exercising his will perfectly, always. Thirdly, we see how the foolish work irresponsibly. How the foolish work irresponsibly. And we just keep going down, verses 8 through 11, but I'm also attaching verses 16 through 20 here. 
So I think he's talking about the worker in both sections. So Solomon continues his observation, and he looks at the worker, and he sees the foolish worker being irresponsible in how he works. First, look at all the examples he gives in verses 8 through 11. Just listen to this again. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer, right? So you just see this over and over again. What's happening? The worker is trying to cut corners. He's trying to make as little work for himself as possible. But as a result, he ends up making more work for himself, and he ends up suffering because of it. Like, for instance, in verse 10, if the iron's blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, right? So you have this guy who, like, he has this blunt iron, and he instead of just taking the time to sharpen it, if he did that, if he just stopped and sharpened it and then kept going, then he'd be more efficient. But instead, he's like, nope, I'm not stopping to sharpen it, and he's just trying to work with a blunt iron. He's saying that's not going to work. Now you have to use more strength. Or the charm, the snake charmer. He's saying that if the serpent bites before it's charmed, like clearly he wasn't charmed yet. It was not the right time. He's saying there's no advantage to the charmer. You didn't charm him yet. You didn't put in the time to charm the snake. And so now he bits you. See, the foolish person works irresponsibly by cutting corners when instead he should be working diligently unto the Lord. So let me ask you, do you work with integrity? Do you work with diligence? Whether it's your schoolwork or your chores or job, if you have a job, do you do so with integrity and diligence? Or do you cut corners? Do you work diligently unto the Lord? See, you're, you're working, your you're school, your chores, your job, whatever it is, it's not for your teacher. It's not for your parents. You don't work for your boss or even for yourself. You work unto the Lord. Do you honor God in your work? By working with integrity? And diligence? Or do you work irresponsibly like the fool? I wasn't going to do this, but I, I, I see Nick, and, and it just reminds me. Do you know what I'm going to say? Can, can I say it without you knowing? You remind me of working with integrity. When You're like, what? <laughs> when, when you worked at Puesto. You remember this? I, I just thought this was, I really, I was encouraged by this. You shared this with me years ago when, in one of our discipleship meetings. And I may, say, I may tell this wrong, but just whatever. <laughs> just go with it, right? People, so you, you were a buster, right? And so, right, so they clear the tables and stuff, and a lot of people still have scraps of food, and, and you go and you're supposed to scrape the scraps of food into the garbage can, and then you give the plate and put it in the sink, right? Something like that. You know where I'm going with this, right? And there's other busters and stuff, and what happens is, right, occasionally, like, a fork or a knife gets, like, underneath the food and the napkins and stuff, so when you scrape it, like, the fork goes down the bottom of the nasty trash can, and most people, they scrape it and be like, oh, 
there's a fork in that the bottom of this nasty trash can. Oh well, right? And then you just move on and you just play like it's not your fork. It's Presto's fork. Like who cares? And Nick was sharing with me, and he was not doing this in a prideful way. It was in it was in the context in which we were talking about. He was explaining to me that he, he felt he needed to work diligently to the Lord, that when he accidentally saw a fork down there, no one's around, he's like, all right, pulls up his sleeve and gets deep in there and grabs that fork and up, you know, beans and salsa on his arm just to grab some fork that is down the bottom of the trash can so place him to have a fork. And his explanation was, I know no one's watching. I know I'm not doing this for, the, for my boss. And I do not care that Puesto has an extra fork or not, but I understand that I'm working to the Lord. And this honors the Lord by being honest and working with integrity. See, that's not cutting corners. That's being wise, not foolish. And the world will say, well, no, that's foolish. Why would you dig your hand down there to grab a fork and get your arm all dirty? That's foolish. It's just a fork. That's what the world would say. We look at the principles of God's word and it says, no, work it to the Lord. Work with integrity. Even if that means when no one's watching, you're grabbing a fork and getting your arm all nasty with burrito beans. I just thought of that when I looked at you, Nick. Thank you. Then in verse 16 through 20, I think we see a couple things here. Again, talking about the worker. And the setting is the worker who's under a foolish king now, all right? So the first thing that Solomon observes is that it's foolish to follow a foolish king. That you may have someone, let's say a king or whoever, who's in authority, and, and they may be ruling foolishly. They may be angry. They may be in error. They, they may be modeling a foolish way of living. And you, in this case, in the context, someone working for the king, he's saying you are not to follow their example. Do not live foolishly as he lives foolishly. But have discernment on what is wise and what is foolish. Sadly, a foolish leader often produces foolish followers. He says, be discerning and pursue what is wise, not just as what is being modeled to you. Now, while we are not to follow in the ways of the foolish king, Solomon also observes that it is foolish to disrespect the king or disrespect your authority. In fact, in verse 20, he describes a scene in which the, the workers are all gathered around and they're talking poorly about the king. And they thought it was in confidence. That word wouldn't get back to the king. But then what? Oh, a little birdie went and told the king. You ever heard that phrase? A little birdie told me. Some people think that it originated from this verse. The end of verse 20. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Word gets around. And Solomon says, be wise. Don't be talking bad about your authority. A little birdie will tell. But notice he, what, what he says in verse 20. He says, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king. Wow. It's not just don't say it. Don't gossip. It'll come back to bite you. It's not just that, but it goes deeper than that. He says, not even in your thoughts should you curse the king. I mean, how often do we have bad thoughts about others? Maybe when your teachers or your parents or your boss tells you something, and you're just like, oh, man, I just want to, oh, man, he's just so, and you think it, right? But you wouldn't say it because you don't want to get fired or you don't want, you know, a little spanking or something, right? But so whatever it is, like you don't want that. So you just think it. You think these bad thoughts. 
Whatever it is and your thoughts towards them are sinful. Take every thought captive. Don't let your mind run wild in sin. And that can be hard. Because there's not a lot of accountability there. It's just you and your thoughts. And you could be staring someone in the face and you could be thinking all these sinful, nasty thoughts about them and they would have no idea. When those sinful thoughts enter your mind, don't marinate in them, but get rid of them. Don't fill your mind with what is sinful. Fill your mind with the things of God. What are the things of God that we should be thinking about? Philippians 4.8, listen to these things that we should be thinking about. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, be wise, not just in your actions, not just in your speech, but in your thoughts as well, he says. Even your thoughts. Fourthly and lastly, we see how the foolish speak to others. How the foolish speak to others. This is verses 12 through 15 now. Solomon now observes the speech of the foolish. The speech of the foolish. And in his observation, he notices three aspects of the fool's speech. First, the speech of the foolish is destructive in verse 12. The speech of the foolish is destructive. What does he say? The words of the wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Because our words are very powerful. In fact, James 3 speaks on the power of words. Write down James 3, 3 through 8. Remember when Alex talked about bits, the bit and the horse? Right? That's what you said? Bit? Bit and bridle. I gotta say that, I'll sell it. Beat and bridle. Verse 3. I'm not gonna read scripture. I'm not gonna say it like that. Okay. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. Okay, now he's comparing this to the tongue. Verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed. It has been tamed by mankind, right? Like, yeah, go to the zoo, right? Like, yeah, we, we can tame animals. Verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. See that? You see the power in which the Bible describes our tongue, our words? The foolish person doesn't care about their words. They, they just speak wildly and destructively. But here, Solomon, is, he's not just saying that words are destructive towards others, but rather that they're even more destructive to yourself by the ones saying the words. Verse 12, but the lips of a fool consume him. Consume him, the fool, who speaks it. 
See, the fool thinks they're winning when they slander someone, when they gossip, when they lie about someone. But in reality, they're just hurting themselves. Proverbs 13.3 says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The way in which the fool speaks ultimately destroys himself. So I ask you, how do you speak? In the way of a fool? The way of the wise? Well, how does the wise speak? How does God say we should speak? Let me know by speaking the way of the wise. How does God say I should speak? Well, God says to not let any corrupt talk come from your mouth, but only that which is edifying and building up of the body. To speak in humility and love and grace. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. It says to not gossip or lie or slander. To not speak boastfully. We can go on and on. Do you speak in that way? Or do you speak in the way of the fool? See, the way of the fool is destructive. And the second thing about speech we see is that the speech of the foolish is madness. That the more the foolish person talks, the crazier it becomes. Look at verse 13. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. I mean, this is the path of the foolish. And we can see it so clearly in what they say. It just progressively gets worse and worse. And it's nothing but madness, he says. And then the third thing he notices about their speech is that the speech of the foolish is prideful. Verse 14, a fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, as in the future, and who can tell him what will be after him. That the fool speaks as if he knows what tomorrow holds. But he doesn't. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Going back to James chapter 4, 13-16. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. It sounds like Ecclesiastes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. See, the fool talks like they know the future, like they know what tomorrow holds. And this reveals the pride within themselves. We don't know what tomorrow holds. The only things that are certain in the future are the things that God has told us and promised to us. Now be careful in the way in which you speak of the future. As if you have knowledge or power to control the will of God. God's will is what will happen. As you speak, speak not as the authority of life, but speak as in submission to the will of God. You see, our words reveal a lot about our hearts. Do they not? In fact, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What do your, what do your words reveal about your heart? Are your words destructive? Are they madness? Are they prideful? 
do your words reveal a foolish heart? Solomon observes life around him. And he sees foolishness all around. And this is coming from the wisest man on earth. At the same time, a man who lived in great folly. May we heed the words of the wise and beware of living foolishly ourselves. Why live wisely, though? Like, why live according to what the Bible says is wise? Why live according to God's word opposed to man's word? Because God is the creator. And he is the authority of our lives. You see, God being the creator is the one to know and to tell us what is wise and how to live our lives and what is best. What we see in scripture and commands in which we are to obey and God's instructions and God's wisdom, they're not to make our lives miserable. That's not God God's like, oh, I just want to make their lives miserable. He didn't just say these things so that our lives would be more difficult. God, as the creator is instructing us how to live our lives according to how we were created to live. He's the creator. He knows how we ought to live. He knows what is best. And sin in the world gets in the way of that and distorts God's created design and says, no, live this way instead. This is really what's wise. And it looks enticing. And it's tempting. But trust the Creator and trust His Word when He says, no, that's foolishness. Listen to my Word. My Word is wise. My Word is perfect. And the world says, no, your Word is outdated and old-fashioned. Will you listen to worldly wisdom, which is foolishness, or godly wisdom? We cannot confuse godly wisdom with worldly wisdom. Because at its deepest extent, it's a matter of life or death. Because worldly wisdom says that the gospel of Jesus Christ is folly. Wow. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The world rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ Instead, they provide all kinds of ways of salvation. They offer salvation through, through tradition and heritage, which says, well, yeah, if you're a Christian family, then you're a Christian because you're in a Christian family. It goes through generations. And you do the Christian thing. You go to church on Sunday. You live the Christian lifestyle. So, of course, you're a Christian. That's what the world says. Or the world offers salvation through your own authority. Whatever you choose is best for you. If Buddha is best for you, then go be saved by Buddha. If you want to be saved through through moons and stars and, and burning things, then go ahead. If you just want to be saved by saying, I'm saved, then okay, whatever's best for you. That's what the world offers for salvation. They offer salvation through good works. Yes, just be a better person. Be a better person every, each and every day. Get better and better and do more good things. Then of course you're saved. That's what the world offers as salvation. And the world offers all of these, none of which is a way of salvation. It's all false gospel. But salvation is found in Christ, in Christ alone. Period. The gospel of Jesus Christ, 
The gospel found in his word. The gospel that God offers us is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, on the merits of Christ alone. And the world takes that and they say, that's foolish. And then they offer you folly instead. Do not be tempted to follow worldly wisdom. It is not wisdom. It is foolishness. But seek real wisdom, godly wisdom, and walk according to the word of God and submit to Christ in all things. There's nothing foolish in that. That is true wisdom. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the wisdom we see in your word. God, that we know it is true, that is absolutely true. And that they are truths unchanged. God, we pray that we would submit to your word. God, we pray you would give us wisdom. That we would not be tempted by the folly of this world. God, that you would convict our hearts. Remove our blindness to our own sin. Remove our blindness to our own folly. God, that we would see your truth and your wisdom and we pursue to live for you because we love you because you first loved us. Lord, for those in here who are so blind by the foolishness of of this world that they have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, I pray, God, that you would remove that from them. You'd give them eyes to see and they would stop pursuing the foolishness of this world. And they would pursue Christ instead. Lord, I pray as we discuss these things, God, that you would use it as a way to grow us and that we would even worship you in this time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.